Good Friday 2023 and here at Living Word Bible Church we're looking at a, a, a mini-series just spanning over Easter the women of the passion and as the title suggests we're looking at the place of women around the cross and generally women in the lives of Jesus's ministry what place do women have in the ministry of Jesus what place do women have in Christianity since? And it's an interesting question because obviously we live in an age where, where women are increasingly coming to the fore, which is a wonderful thing. And so I want us to, I want us to look at the Bible and I want to see the precedence for that and how Jesus gives women a place in society and paves the way for a future for them that nobody in the culture could have seen. Back in the day, not my day, back in the day that Jesus walked the earth. And generally, back in history, uh, as religions formed, when we look at the world religions, that always an they had always elements of their environment. And so every religion in the world seems to, in some measure, have wherever women figure, it tends to have them in the background. They're rarely in the fore, they're rarely the ones leading movements, they're rarely the leaders of these great religious movements. They're always in the background, it seems. Possibly at times even suppressed, oppressed. And when we come to the Bible, we can almost get that same image, the same picture, that somehow or another, Jesus does little for women. I mean, when we look at the, the New Testament, we can get the impression that women had very little to do with Jesus' ministry. Uh, and therefore have very little to do with the future church. And we can even read some of the New Testament literatures, which are written by men, uh, written to churches or to men. And we can begin to build up this picture that perhaps the Bible, perhaps Jesus, perhaps Christianity, also leaves women in the background. We can, we can falsely assume that that's where, where, where women, women are meant to be. And that's a horrible, horrible conclusion. There were some uh, branches of Judaism uh, that held women back like that. And there's a saying amongst some, some Jewish scholars that they would rather burn the Torah, uh, uh, the Jewish uh, Old Testament uh, parts of it, they would rather burn it than to teach it to women. And this is the environment that the New Testament comes to us in. And so we're asking, what will Jesus do? with women and when we read the new testament letters it does seem does it not he didn't do a lot i mean he had no women disciples no women church leaders in the early church uh, we hardly hear about women uh, we hear about mary who was there when jesus was crucified along with john and uh, we, we can imagine that women have had nothing to do uh, done to them by Jesus, that, that Jesus cared very little for women and will be completely wrong. Hey, I want to say this first of all. The Bible is a piece of literature, the New Testament, uh, it's a piece of literature of its time. Now, hear me out carefully. It is absolutely uh, relevant today. It, it, it supersedes time, absolutely. But the manner in which it was written, the style it was written it is in an era where women were in the background and it connects with that in order to be able to to draw an audience if you like 
in order to reach a male dominant society if jesus and in in his, in both his ministry and inspiring the authors of the bible to have uh, an over focus on women it would have just meant that no one read the new testament no one engaged with it because all the leading figures were men and so i, I feel the new testament was written to to connect with his culture a male dominant culture but within it are the seabeds of where this is going uh, towards a society where women and men are regarded equally um, functionally um, obviously uh, women and men are very different biologically and um, ontologically i guess uh, but functionally uh, th th there's equality there we may have different roles but there's equality and and so jesus is ministry and the work of the apostles in writing the scriptures connects with the male dominate domineering society but within the text of scripture and we're going to do that today is this incredible movement going on jesus is beginning to move the tectonic plates and he envisages a world that looks very different in 2020 to the one that he inhabited in 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 the first century a world where women are much more to the fore much more involved in church life in society where there's where there's obvious visible equality and jesus does that for women and he does it so beautifully so gently fitting with the context of his environment that hardly anybody noticed what he was doing but as we look at the scriptures today we can see jesus was a pioneer advocate for the promotion and the bringing to the fore and and the appreciation and the the sharing of equality with women he was the champion of women really jesus is incredible in that sense i want to show you let me say this to you to begin with i've already said that how the new testament is written in such a way that it connects with this male dominant society where where, where it was most in male in, in key leadership places and elseforth elsewhere rather it does but but it does it with a hope and with a with a vision to move things on beyond that and it does it this way first of all let me tell you what jesus or the new testament rather does with slavery we can look at slavery and this was done wasn't it was this was this is how things were in some parts of the world where slavery was rife and where slaves were abused and subjugated and and the bible was used to do that the new testament words of jesus and well at least his apostles rather were used to suppress and control slavery there were times when they used to hire uh, black preachers to go and speak to black slaves in order to to keep them subjugated under control through the words of the apostles in the bible and so the new testament seems to be a, a pro-slavery book and it's not it's not the apostles laid the seed bed for the liberation of slaves now they did it in such a way that 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 they wouldn't be ousted and 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 unheard in their environment to go and hold up a placard in first century israel and be proclaiming liberty to slaves would have been absurd and he would have made no advancement and so the tact that jesus takes through his spirit in the way he inspires the the, the new testament authors 
to write is not to come out this, you know, like a bull in a china shop. Now listen, to Paul is brilliant. I love Paul. Paul is perhaps one of the most intelligent men who ever to have lived. Certainly the greatest Christian ever to have lived. This guy is intelligent and wise and they don't always go together, do they? Okay. And, and it's brilliant how he begins to undermine slavery in his letters. How he, how he raises the profile of slaves. How he speaks about slaves being treated well. How he encourages slaves to relate well to their masters. Uh, how how he, he paints uh, masters of slaves as those who are, who are accountable to God. And, and the way they treat slaves matters. And what you begin to see is that Paul and the other New Testament authors are beginning to gently, wisely lay the fabric for the erosion of slavery. And so finally, William Wilberforce and others like him, and Newton, a, 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 a compatriot of his, come to the scene and using the New Testament, using the Bible, they spearhead the abolition of slavery because it's all there in the text. So the New Testament is not pro-slavery. I don't think it's enough to say the New Testament slavery is different to the slavery we saw in the Americas. It was, without doubt, New Testament slavery was very different, but it's more than that. The New Testament wasn't condoning slavery, but paving the way for its abolition. And Wilberforce understood that and changed a generation. And I tell you that, not because I've just got distracted and I'm on some weird tangent uh, that can happen, but it's because it's the same with women in the New Testament. Jesus didn't author, uh, inspire the authors of the New Testament just to go and put it out there. You know, the liberation of women, you know, women in high places, and then women as equal to men, and the women to learn the Bible and to read and write. All those things were necessary, and all those things Jesus without doubt envisaged was the goal and the New Testament authors, but they did it in such a way so that their society could 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 receive this tempered message rather than a hard cutting one. And so so women had a great role in Jesus' life and ministry. I want to show you that now. And a great future in the church which we're beginning to discover in our time and era. And it's taken many, many um, generations, centuries to get there, millennia even, but, but we're getting to that place. And so I want to encourage the church not to, not to have a knee-jerk reaction to feminism you know, and feeling that it's all going too far and we should you know, distance ourselves from it, but to embrace the, the, the key principles of it, that women are equal to men and that God did make them equal, that God has a place for women in his church, in serving, in being part of the kingdom, in the world. And Jesus demonstrates and here's how. I keep saying that, I'm going to get to him now. Let me ask you, there's the first question. Think about this. What, what role did women have in the New Testament? How many women disciples were there? And you know the answer to that? Because you, you're probably thinking, oh, there were none. You know, you know, uh, you know. How can you say that Jesus is is pro women, champion of women? Jesus, look at this. Let, let me let me show you this, and it's incredible. Uh, I'll take you to Luke, uh, Luke, Luke eight, 
and if we can just find in my notes and, and this is all here about women after this jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of god the 12 were there they're there everybody knows 12 men okay men but hey hey man me too okay listen to this the text continues and, and you know we can just stop there he had 12 men and that's it and jesus had 12 apostles and you know what else is it to say but there's much more to say this is what jesus says and like i say it's in there gently and also some women who were cured who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases mary magdalene we're going to look at it later uh, from whom seven demons had been cast verse three jonah the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household susanna and many others many other women these women were helping to support them out of their own means what role did new women have in the new testament what role did they play in jesus's life and ministry how did they figure in jesus's life they were disciples they may not have been apostles especially called to be the first leaders of the church but they were disciples they followed jesus they experienced jesus's power in their lives they were drawn to Jesus and they became Jesus' chief. They, they did various things. They, became, they followed Jesus. When Jesus travelled the countryside, going north and south, east and west with his 12, we sometimes envisage, don't we, and, 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 and films do this too, that there's Jesus and there's these 12 guys following him and that's it. That's not true. It wasn't just the 12. The women disciples, many of them, tens perhaps, followed. They were a part of the entourage, a part of the discipleship squad. They were there listening to the teaching of Jesus. Jesus thought they were worthy to listen to them. They were there soaking it in. And I'm going to tell you in a minute how important it was that they heard what Jesus was teaching. Uh, Luke knew how important it was. And I'm going to come to that shortly as long as I don't forget. And so women were disciples of Jesus listening to his teaching being taught by jesus following around with jesus over the course of his ministry they went way beyond the men you know one of the things about the guys is 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 we don't hear about them doing doing caring work that, that often the women were told there in luke were told there what does he say they were they, they were there they were supporting him out of their own means have you ever thought about the fact though jesus is god and when he walked this planet he could have just went bang 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 bread soup mcdonald's kebab uruses uh nando's really jesus didn't need to live in 2023 to get a nando's okay or or uh, the one i prefer like zambreros okay uh, he could have done it then he could have made it appear then he's god and yet i can't, I can't think of a instance just a rare instance, instance when he does the miraculous to feed himself or to support himself remember when he's in samaria and he's hungry what does he do he sends the chaps to go into town to buy food i think it's one of the rare occasions when the disciple the male disciples actually cared for jesus's need but ordinarily the women disciples and not because caring for practical needs is a role of women but because it does seem that women are so beautifully endowed that they care about the practical needs of people and so here they were 
naturally caring for the practical needs of Jesus. The fact that he needed to eat. The fact that he needed resources when he traveled. The women provided that. They provided financial resources. They provided companionship. They traveled with him. They no doubt, because it was the culture of the time, were involved in just, it, just facilitating Jesus' comfort. The women played, played an incredible role doing that. Something you don't see the men doing. And so, how many disciples did Jesus have? He had more than 12. He had many, and many of them were made up of women. We're told later, and I'm going to look at some of the texts in a minute with you, is, is, is at the cross of Jesus, there were many women gathered. Many. If I could just find a text. Many. And that's because, because many women followed Jesus throughout his life, were disciples. And so, let me come to the cross, because we're looking at the Passion. So women were a key part of Jesus' entourage. But again, for contextual reasons, their place isn't highlighted uh, as much as we would like it to be in today's age. So we come to the Passion, and here's, here's the reality. Okay, Jesus is going through the trial, uh, he's, he's going to be hanged, executed, nailed to the cross, shortly but he says this to his disciples just before even the night before quoting Zechariah I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered he goes and say every one of you will desert me okay and he's talking you know no doubt there were females there there too but he was talking specifically to the male contingent here and what happens all but two of the disciples Within moments of Jesus giving this talk, saying they're all going to desert him, and they're all saying, not just Peter, they're all saying, not me, not me, not me, Jesus. It wasn't just, I know we focus in on Peter, and his words are highlighted, but they're all saying it, one of the gospel tells us. But within hours of that, they all forsook him, except for two. I love Peter. And I, I, I hate Peter being spoken of derogatively. You have no idea what you're talking about when you talk about Peter derogatively. He was with Jesus. He and John were the only two who stayed with Jesus. When everybody else abandoned him, they went to the courtyard. They, they were there. They had, a, they, had a, they had a view of the trials, something that was going on for a time at least. So give Peter his due. He kept to his word that I would die with you, Jesus, up to the point up to the point when his frailty finally came through. Look, but for the grace of God. Oh, we can all be, you know, have our bravado and, you know, how, how we're going to do, you know, and genuinely so. And Peter was genuine. Jesus, I would die for you. But when he came to it, he crumbled. At the final hurdle. Hey, but at least he got to the final hurdle. The other disciples fled. So there's him and there's John. But Peter now falls at the penultimate hurdle, if you like. And so he's now out of the picture. Now all 12 but John have forsaken, forsaken Jesus. John is the only disciple that witnessed Jesus' crucifixion. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Of the twelve, only John. Of all the men that Jesus had trained and built up and prepared to be the first leaders of his church, 
He only had John, one man, with him in his hour of need when he needed companionship, friendship, care. There's somebody there, when he's on the cross, when he can look out and see a warm face, a tear-filled eye, a loving look. Jesus needed that in his humanity. And he only had of the 12 men that he trained, John, who was there. What a lonely, lonely experience. But, but for the women, but for the women. What roles, what roles did women play in the ministry of Jesus? The most beautiful and greatest role any human could play. We're told in all of the Gospels, that the women disciples were there. We're told that there were many of them. Well, look at some of the details shortly. I'm going to go through the, the specific women. But for now, many were there. They were doing for Jesus what, what 11 of the 12 male disciples failed to do, and all the others. They were there so that Jesus could look into their eyes. They were there radiating compassion and love and concern and tears, and support, and faithfulness. They were there. They buttressed Jesus. They supported him. They gave him reason to, to see this thing through because he loved those women, and those women loved him enough to be there in his hour of need, in his greatest hour of need. It shouldn't surprise us, should it, that these three women who performed the most beautiful service to Jesus in his, in his deepest turmoil, in his lowest moment, that he should exalt to the highest place and first reveal himself of all the people of, that Jesus could have first revealed himself to, Peter, John, it, you know, and, and a host of others he reveals himself to a woman Mary and it doesn't surprise us now does it considering how faithful these dear women disciples of Jesus were to the end in fact we're even told not only did they see uh, Jesus through his death but they went ahead and they waited or they followed at the procession to where Jesus' body was going to be. They were not going to stop with Jesus' death. They were determined to keep ministering to Jesus beyond his death. And so here, here's the thing. I don't know if you ever thought about it like this. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew is a, is a disciple of Jesus. Mark is a disciple of Peter, so he's writing on behalf of Peter. Luke is a disciple of, of Paul. Paul is the final uh, apostle to want to replace Judas, the, the, the God-given choice of Judas' replacement, as opposed to Matthias that the church chose. Okay, have you noticed we never hear of Matthias again? That's because God's choice for the 12th disciple is Paul. Obviously... Okay, and so, and so, what was I saying? If I can get back to what I was saying. And so, 
So yet yeah, Luke is a disciple of Paul, okay? And then there's John. John can write his eyewitness account because he was there, but how did Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? You know, remember, Peter wasn't at the crucifixion. Paul wasn't at the crucifixion. How did they write with such accuracy about events they could not have seen? Because they fled. And the answer? You want to know how important women were to Jesus' disciples? You want to know how important women were to the, to the New Testament? They were the source that Matthew and Mark and Luke went to. You know when Luke writes, you know, uh, my dearest philosophers, uh, 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 what's his name? I should know he's the name of my son, uh, Theophilus, okay? <laughs> okay, right? You know, I too have researched this. I too have investigated this. Can you see what Luke is saying? I send text messages, okay? I Zoom people, right? You know, I got them into my office and I spoke to them face to face. Who, 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 who? Who did poor Luke cross-examine, interview to get information about what happened at the crucifixion? Because there's only one apostle alive, John, and that's only one perspective. Who did Luke do his research on? The women! The women! The ladies! Sorry, women, I'm, I'm sure you prefer to be called ladies. The ladies, okay? We don't know how important ladies are to the New Testament. Without them, we'd have no eyewitnesses apart from John. Thanks be to God. And so, the reason we have these eyewitness accounts of Jesus' death, there's only one apostle present, is that the women's testimony was used. And again, this is where the Bible is so culturally sensitive, brilliantly so, uh, that's inferred in Luke, and it's the obvious answer to any dummy who can add one and one, but rather than Luke saying, and I spoke to all the women, and put off his male readership of the time, he just says he investigated it. But we know the only people who knew what happened, who saw what happened apart from John, were the ladies. So, wow, what a place. You begin to see how important women are to Jesus, to the Christianity, to the New Testament, to the Apostle Paul. They're, they are, they always have been, and they will be, and our society is finally realising it. Equal alongside men in male and female and genesis says he created them in the image of god there is no discrepancy of of ontological value of of men to women created equal and so coming back to these women and so we're at the cross peter uh, stood the test of time for some for and fell at the penultimate hurdle john continues the rest are scarpered but the women are there the women are there and they're going to read look uh, matthew 27 many women were there some watching from a distance we're told and elsewhere in john we're told some right at the cross so we have many women there says matthew okay some at the distance some close what does that tell you that tells you there were so many women they couldn't all get close. That's what it tells you, that, that, the, that it was full of women 
women supporters, women disciples, women believers. And they're there. And so we're asking ourselves, why have the men forsaken Jesus? But the women disciples have continued with him. Look, one reality we don't want to get away from, and I don't want to overplay this, but I don't want to uh, not state it either. Naturally, the men knew that they would be the focus of the, of the authorities. Jesus had been apprehended, he's now been crucified, assassinated, okay? It stands to reason that the authorities will be after the 12, the men 12, because remember, it's a male-dominated society. They devalued women, horribly so, okay? And so, so the women possibly felt less, uh, less on the threat, but it's much wider than that. So I think that's, that is one of the reasons, perhaps, that the women felt less on the threat, you know, people ignored them generally. But here's the key reasons. Women are there. Because they had a, a beautiful, beautiful connection with Jesus. We see it in how they anoint his body afterwards. And this is something about uh, the, the differences between men and women, it seems. Women seem to be naturally endowed with a caring nature. It's not to say that men aren't caring. I hope I, hope I am. I endeavour to be, no doubt fail. But women, it seems, generally have a beautiful, caring nature. If you turn up to somebody's house, it's, it's hardly the guy who's saying, let me make you some dinner. Well, he may offer you a beer, okay? But he's hardly going to say, let me make you some lunch. That's what, what the ladies do. When I turn up to people's houses, it's always the lady who offers me lunch, okay? Guys, what is the matter with you? Next time I come, I want lunch, okay? And so women seem to have this disposition for caring, faithfulness, passionately, without fear. And that's what, they, that's what these women were there. They loved Jesus in only the way that a woman can. Look, men and women relate to Jesus absolutely for salvation, but I'm sure we relate differently. And it seems these women related in such a way that this was... It drove them to want to be with Jesus to the very end. Even if it meant that their names were blacklisted and they were noticed. You know, they couldn't be certain that the authorities wouldn't be interested in them. They wanted to see this through with Jesus. They wanted to be near him, provide this support, give him the assurance that he's not alone. That they love him. That they want him and they'll walk with him as long as they can. It's amazing and it's beautiful that they were there. I think also they were there because Jesus called them to it. I believe Jesus calls people to faith. And I'm sure Jesus called these women, a spiritual calling, I mean, to share his last moments on earth with. He wanted to be with them. He wanted them to be with him. He wanted to impart them this gift and, and this, this treasure that they'd been with Jesus to the very end. And so here's this, these women. And when, when the guys are forsaken them, they are there. Some are right by the cross. 
And that would have been a terribly hard thing. And it shows the depth of their love for, the, for Jesus. Jesus was almost certainly stark naked. Okay, and in a, in a culture where nakedness is, is, is a point of humiliation, you know, and for public nakedness, I mean, it's just, it's unheard of, okay? And for the women to be there looking on Jesus in that state, you know, to, 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 to undergo that kind of humiliating act shows how much they loved him. That who cares about that? Who cares about protocols? Jesus we just see your soul and we're here for you and we'll be here to the end and so let's come to these women who are they so we're told look i've already read to you matthew 27 many women were there so there were loads there more than we could number no doubt okay but you know, it's like, you know, when you give a speech, you've won the Oscars, you know, you know and who do you thank? Because there's hundreds of people who have been responsible for you getting to where you are. Okay, well, but the, then you pick out the key ones, the key names. I want, I want to thank such and such because without them, I would definitely not been here. And that's what the gospel writers do. And so look, how can we miss the, the place of women in the New Testament and in Jesus' ministry? Because, because the gospel writers culturally don't overplay it but when an opportunity comes they won't miss the mic when it comes and they name these some of these women they name six of them okay six of them you know uh, they, these are the heroines of faith along with the other disciples who are so faithful to jesus to the end and i want to look at who these six are these women of the passion it's taken me half an hour to get here so I'm going to be briefer than I want to be, just so you don't fall asleep and you keep listening. Okay? But these six, we should have the names of these six women on the mantelpieces of our houses. I don't say that in jest. You know, we think of Paul. I love Paul. He's my hero of the Bible. You know, and I love Peter and John, you know, and Thomas, you know, and Stephen. What a preacher. Uh, hey, what about these six women? Their names are there, faithful to the end. Hey, Christians, you want to you put something on your mantelpiece? Put the name of Mary Magdalene on there. Okay? Or bookshops, Kurong, whoever. Okay, I go there and we see all these things that we can put on our mantelpiece, hang on our shelves. I want to see something with the name of the six heroines of the christian faith on there i want to plaster on every wall in every house i go to because these are the true heroes of the new testament okay the, the chaps came later the men came later okay the mopping up operation these women spearheaded the christian movement okay uh, and and the authors of the new testament under the inspiration of the holy spirit of Jesus' spirit list their names this is the oscars and this is and a tribute to the key players in Jesus's life. Okay, and so here they are. So let me take you through them. Excuse me. Uh, I'm, I'm known to get slightly excited about, <laughs> about the scriptures. Okay, first of all, there, there's the, the Salome. Okay, 
this woman Salome. We're not. We're told she's the mother of James and John, so we already know who she is. Okay, the Zebedee uh, brothers. Okay, uh, she's the one who was so passionate about her sons. Uh, you know. Uh, having a continued impact in Jesus' kingdom, that she wanted him to sit at, the, at his right and left. And, you know, that wasn't a great thing to request. But it shows her passion and her belief in Jesus. She's there. And it shouldn't surprise us, should you? She'd most probably been a disciple of Jesus since John and James, or James and John. She's there, ministering to Jesus in his hour of need. It's lovely. We're told that in Matthew 27. Uh, there she is. Again, another verse there. And the mother of the Zebedee sons is there. Her first heroine. Let me ask you, just let me just stop there uh, before I do the other five. We're looking at the women uh, of the Passion. We've got six names of the heroines of Scripture. Okay. Uh, the chief names there. We've got six. Uh, obviously, one of them is Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. Who do you think has the, the most airtime in the Gospels uh, about their name or what they've done at the cross at Jesus' death recorded for them? Who, who would you think has the most airtime, uh, gets the most ink spilled, who's spoken about the most, who figures in every Gospel? Which of these six would you think? Well, obviously, you think it's... Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. Obviously, she's the key woman disciple. She's the one who's going to get the most ink spilled about her. She's the one that's going to be uh, uh, highlighted the most. She's the one that Jesus is going to appear to first. If he's going to be a woman, then she's going to be the one. That's what you expect. And yet, it's not. It's not. Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, is not the, the, the one who's given the most airtime at the Passion. It's Magdalene who gets that. I'm pretty sure in God's providence, that has something to do with, with he knew if we emphasize Mary overly, okay, before long, We'd have a religion when we're worshipping Mary and not Jesus. I wonder if that's part of why uh, her role uh, uh, at the crucifixion, which is what we're looking at today, is somehow underplayed and Mary gets most of the limelight. And Mary gets to see Jesus first. Okay, again, I think Jesus, it's so that his, his mother who gave birth to him isn't idolized. And so Jesus decided he was a woman, not a man, but a woman, that he wants to reveal himself first, the very first creature in the universe to see the resurrected Jesus. He chooses Mary Magdalene. He chooses a woman. And he chooses someone who may have otherwise been despised, but goes on to become the great, one of the greatest heroes of Christianity. And so we've had Shalom, okay, the Zebedee sons, okay, uh, Zebedee had been the father and James and John been his two kids. Okay. Next we have Mary Magdalene, the one I've just been talking about. Mag Magdalene is not her surname. Rather, it's where she's from. Okay. She's probably from a place called Magdala, okay, near Galilee. 
um, she was the one who had seven demons um, exercised out of her. She's there. She became, from that moment, one of Jesus' greatest disciples. And she's there with Jesus in his hour of need. It looked, we see in each of the Gospels, it makes this emphasis on, on her role. Matthew 27, among them were Mary Magdalene. Matthew 27, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb so they knew where Jesus' body was. Okay, so this emphasis, John 19, and Mary Magdalene is there. Mary Magdalene, this woman delivered by Jesus, becomes, it seems, the chief of the female disciples of Jesus. Here she is, living up to her reputation, honouring Jesus, not just at the cross, but making sure she knows that they know where his body's placed so they can continue to care for him. That's what this anointing was about. It wasn't just so that his body wouldn't have an odour initially at the grave, uh, in the grave, but it was so they could care for him. His Mary, who no doubt had been supplying money to Jesus' ministry, providing food for Jesus, supporting him on his mission, walking with him, travelling with him, you know, watching him in his death. She even ensures she knows where he's buried, that she may minister to him in his death. And it's little wonder, is it? It's little wonder that Jesus chooses her to be the most blessed human ever to have existed. To see God back from the dead. And so there's Mary Magdalene, uh, the next one. These are not in any particular order, they're just in the order I, 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 uh, I found them in the Bible as in my research. Then there's Thirdly, Mary, Jesus' mother. Mary who gave birth to Jesus. I've always preferred calling her Mary who gave birth to Jesus. I don't, I don't want to get confused about Mary being the mother of God. Mary gave birth to Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful honour Mary was bestowed with. And it's not surprising, although Mary only appears in John. Like I says, I think Jesus was inspiring the authors of the New Testament to ensure that Mary doesn't become an idol. Okay? You know, because the only one we're to worship is Jesus. Not even these heroines or, or heroes, but Jesus. But nevertheless, in John's Gospel, we're, we're given the insight to Mary. She's there. She's at the cross. She's ensured. She's pushed through. What, what we can imagine what probably happened is that the other ladies, disciples, Push me and made way, make way for Mary. This is Mary. Okay. This is his mom. Let her through. She gets through. We can imagine they were all scrambling to get to Jesus' feet. But only so many could get there. There were so many women. And so and so Mary is let through and she's there. And Jesus receiving his support from all these beautiful women who are who are who are holding his hands as he were. Through his final breaths, he, 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 he looks Mary in the eyes with John standing there. What does he see? What does he see? He sees a woman that he deeply loves. And he sees a woman that deeply loves him, who's reared him from, from infancy, 
was fed him, cared for him, played with him, taught him, held him, slept with him, washed him, loved him. What a gaping hole Jesus is about to leave in the life of Mary. And look, it's because Jesus passes on the care of Mary to John that some people assume some religions, uh, uh, religions within Christendom, uh, you know, uh, branches, as it were, uh, suggest that Mary never had any other babies, any other children after Jesus. That's an absurd teaching. The New Testament is clear that Jesus had brothers and sisters. He had at least, he had at least two sisters, because it's in a plural, and several brothers. Uh, two of them wrote letters, Jude and James, New Testament letters. And so, and so, so here's Jesus. The reason he doesn't leave his siblings to take care of Mary is not because Jesus didn't have siblings. He clearly did. Okay, it's because no other sibling of Jesus related to Mary in quite the way that he did. Jesus had the most unique and beautiful relationship with Mary. Without doubt, one of the reasons I love uh, the, 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 the movie The Passion, uh, and I tend to watch it every Good Friday, you know, invite people around and watch it together. I think it's an amazing film. It can't capture, it hasn't captured the spiritual suffering of Jesus, but it has captured something of the physical, okay? Uh, but, what it, but one thing in particular I like is how, is how Mary and Jesus' relationship is explored in the movie. It's beautiful how... How there's laughter and Jesus invents tables where you don't sit on the floor but you sit on the chair and how they jest together and joke together. Oh, I think it's absolutely brilliant how the passion captures something of this beautiful love relationship between Mary and her son Jesus. It's beautiful. Absolutely. That's, I think, the kind of relationship Jesus had with Mary. Now you can see what kind of hole he's going to leave in her. He loves her dearly. And Jesus not wanting to leave Mary with that kind of hole in her life. Losing, notice, notice she's lost, remember she's lost Joseph now. Jesus became her oldest son, the most important person in her family, who cared for her, who provided for the family, who took care of the family, who relieved her of her responsibilities to help with the family. He did everything. He was her world. He was her life. And we know how Jesus relates to the situation. I remember in Luke where a widow who already lost her husband now loses her son. Now, how did Jesus respond to her? He had compassion on her and raised her son to life and gave her son back. You didn't know, did you? That was prophetic. Here's Jesus. The apple of his mom's eye, her eldest son, who's now standing instead of her husband, who's gone to glory. But he's about to be taken from her. And almost you can imagine that the images of the widow of Nain coming back to him. Jesus envisages, sees his mom about to lose the most precious thing in her life. 
And so he turns to John. A, a disciple that, that he had a precious relationship with. A disciple that no doubt has, has shown affection and love. Not just towards Jesus, physical expressions, but also towards Mary. Who no doubt has cared for all these years. And Jesus has watched them together. And he's seen how beautifully John treated his, his, his mother. How good he was to her. How loving he was to her. He'd experienced himself how loving, how affectionate John was. And so here he is, and John is there, okay? And John is there, not just, not by accident either, but Jesus surely called him spiritually to be there so that he could do this. And he hands over the care of his mother, the woman who gave birth to him, to his, his leading disciple, John. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. It wasn't because Jesus doesn't have siblings, is because Jesus wanted someone to take the role that he had of that, of that immensely deep and beautiful relationship between this mom and her child. And John was now going to do that for Jesus to the end of Mary's life. And so here she is in John 19. I said, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple he says, here is your mother. And we're told that from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So the disciple took her into his home. So that's Mary. She's there. I want to finish now. My time has gone. So let me just finish quickly. Who do we have after Mary? Then we have Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, or James and Joseph, depending uh, on some translations there. Now, we don't know a lot about her. But she's a key disciple. She's named, remember? To get a name in the Bible means you're special, okay? Not a number, but a name. And so we don't know a lot about her, but there she's Matthew 24, uh, 27. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Matthew 27. Uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, got to the tomb to find out where Jesus was being laid. So a key and prominent female disciple of Jesus. A marked 15 talks about her too. Mary, the mother of James, the younger, uh, which suggests that James's father was named James. So hence he's James the younger and son Joseph. And so, so we have Mary, the mother of Joseph. Uh, and then I'm just going to finish off where, where is the last one. How many have we had? What about one, two, three, four. And the last one is, yeah, I can't find my notes, but it, it is. And the last one is, uh, last but one, can't count okay okay i can do a little bit of theology but i can't do mathematics okay number five mary the wife of clopas now she's a unique one because she is the sister of mary who gave birth to jesus and and there she is and it's not, it's not surprising is it that some of the close some of the close relatives of jesus of mary would be his disciples would be with him would support him would see him through she's there it's Jesus' auntie. And she's there along with Mary, providing support to Jesus in these closing moments. Don't forget her. And lastly, and look, I, um, I was just going to quote it. In John 19 is where she's mentioned as well. John 19, Mary, the wife of Clopas. Okay. Okay. But going to the last one, there's Joanna. Okay. The wife of uh, Chusa, okay, and 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 she's again mentioned not as many times. She's mentioned in Luke 24. We're told uh, that that she's there, okay. Uh, uh, what is it? Mary Magdalene and Joanna, 
And so she's mentioned, she's mentioned in Luke 8 already, we saw her being mentioned earlier. She's there, loving, caring for Jesus. Look, my time is up, so let me just round this up. So what role did women have in Jesus' passion in the New Testament? They were fundamental to it. They were at the center of it. They were Jesus' key disciples. They were his loyal disciples who never left him, not even on the pain of death, who were with him to the end, who accompanied him, who provided for him, who loved him, who supported him, who traveled with him, who provided finances for him, who, who cared for him. Women who were taught by him, who were eyewitnesses of his death and resurrection, we'll see on Easter morning. Wow. How dare we ever undermine the role of women in the New Testament, in Jesus' ministry. Remember, he is the one who created them equal, male and female. He created them both. In whose image? In his image. And it's no surprise us on earth Although working within the culture on earth, he, he gives women their rightful due, their rightful place, loves them, cares for them, ministers to them, makes them disciples, teaches them, which was contrary to the culture of his time. Okay? And sets us up so that future generations will unearth this wonderful truth within the text of Scripture. And rather than suppress women and belittle what they can do and what they can't do, you know, and keep them to the back and keep them low. Rather than that, he raises their profile, gives them prominence and expects that future generations will begin to see and treat and relate to women in the church and in the world with equality, with due respect, mutual respect and love and appreciation and care. Women were made by Jesus, loved by Jesus, are integral to the church of Jesus. And so God bless you, ladies. God bless you. Your ancestry, these dear women uh, that we've looked at, uh, Salome and Mary Magdalene and uh, Mary who gave birth to Jesus, uh, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Joanna, and I think there was one, one other one uh, I can't quite see at the moment. They're your ancestors. What heroines are you following in the footsteps of? So here's a challenge. Dear ladies, you have as your heroes the most amazing and beautiful women in all the world. Make them your aspiration. That's the kind of relationship and passion and love and care you want towards Jesus. That's the mark they set for you. Put their names on your kitchen work surface, on your walls, in your cars. Read about them. Think about them. Emulate them. And thank Jesus that he began gently the movement that were under the curse. Remember, remember what the curse did? Uh, the fall? It suppressed women. And since then, uh, because, because, because we were contaminated, men and women, and we were, we were 
corrupted because of the fall, because we broke because of the fall. Men and women began to relate to each other in the most terrible ways. Women forcing themselves on women and taking advantage of them in numerous disgusting ways. Hey, hey, hey. Jesus said, and then the Genesis says, doesn't it, uh, that the seed of the woman would undo all that. And that's what Jesus does. He undoes the fall. And he brings women, he begins the movement that brings women to where they belong. Equal with the rest of humanity. So be blessed, women. Know what Jesus thinks of you, where you belong in the church, and live for him and serve him to the glory of God. And men, let me just finish up with the men. Men, okay? Hey, these women have set the mark, guys. I mean, look at us. What happened to us? We're the ones who betrayed Jesus, who left him, who despised him, who be, who who disowned him who fled we too need the names of these women on our mantelpieces they're our heroes they're who we strive to emulate so go do it and remembering that we live as equals we serve as equals we have equal roles in the kingdom we're loved equally. We're partners for the glory of Jesus. Women of the passion, the women of the passion, are the most beautiful women of the world.